Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show today. This week, I'm talking with my friend Mark Miller from the company Brave Enough, which does concert booking for the college market. Now, Mark has worked with over 400 colleges and universities across the country and over 50 artists, getting them into the college market, booking shows for them. We're discussing what it takes to get booked at colleges across the country and the importance of showcasing at either NACA or APCA, which are the campus activities associations you have to use to get into this market. Plus, we talk about the best music genres for the college market as well. Lots of great information coming up. So grab a pen and paper and get ready to take lots of great notes. All right, guys, I am talking with my friend Mark Miller. How are you today, sir? Hey, Marty, doing great. Good, man. It's good to see you. Thank yeah. you so much for getting together with me and, um, and talking with me. This is, uh, uh, we'll t- share a quick little funny story um, for our listeners because you and I tried to do this uh, <laughs> a, a few weeks ago. We, got, yeah. we tried to do um, over like the Zencaster, well, we tried to do this over like the internet um, way because we couldn't be together at the, at the time. And we got like halfway through the interview and and I think your internet company showed up and shut it shut down your internet or something and we lost our signal and we had to stop. Yeah, it was really bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well instead of doing that, let's just try to get together in person. It's we live we live close enough. We can just do this. So um, so thank you for coming and just kind of starting over and and this will be a lot easier, I hope. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great to be <laughs> in person. Uh, just for our, our audience to know how you and I know each other. So um, I think most people know that I'm a worship pastor. I do guest worship leading for churches all over the country and whatever, and, and around Nashville and sort of this local area. And there's a church up in the north part of Nashville in Hendersonville that um, I've been helping out with for, I had been helping out with for a, a few months leading worship, and I got to know you and your wife, Heather. Um, I think she sang back up with me and, and played with me. She plays flute too, right? Yeah. Yeah, she, yep. pl- we, she played with me um, there doing that, and that was really cool. I've never, I think she's the first person I've ever played flute with on stage, which was really a really neat experience. So anyway, but we got to know, to know each other from, from that church a little bit and um, had lunch a couple times and things like that and just enjoyed getting to know you and Heather and your family and... So that's, that's how we know each other initially. Right, yeah. So, but what I want to know is how you got into music and what has led you to what you do, because you own a company called Brave Enough, mm-hmm. which is a booking agency, mm-hmm. mostly. You do, other, you do some photography, like music photography for albums and um, po- tour posters and things like that. 
So I'm gonna get into all of that. Um, but before we get there, let's, let's just kind of start from the beginning. Where are you from? And what got you moving in the, in the direction of doing music to begin with? Yeah, sure. So I'm initially from Kansas City. So it's, I love Kansas yeah. City. I lived there. I went to college there. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it's, it's almost a Super Bowl. We got the Chiefs in there. And I didn't know you went to college there. Where'd you go? I went to a Bible college, a part of Youth for Christ uh-huh. uh, that is there. It was called Christ Unlimited Bible Institute. Nice. It was a one-year college um, that was a part of Youth for Christ. It's no longer, the, the college part is no longer there any longer. Um, but it's now called Youth Front. Yeah, it's, I know that building. Yeah, I know that know a lot of the people there. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. So, Crazy. Yeah. So Kansas, Kansas City is like a connection. second home to me. Yeah. So, you know, I still root for my, my Chiefs and K-State and all those, those good guys. But, um, yeah, so I, um, I, I always had it in my heart to do. I felt like God was calling me into music, to be honest, in, in, in high school. But I was totally... Uh, terrified to do it because I was a terrible singer, and uh, and so I was. It was always my backup plan. It's like, oh, I'll kind of learn how to do it on my side, on the side while I pursue engineering and make money. And then partway through college, just uh, God just totally redirected me and said, um, nope, you don't get a, you don't get to have music as a plan B. It's your plan A. Right. That's what I've got for you. So I, I switched majors um, and and pursued music full on, and um, it was it was hilarious. I shouldn't have even gotten into. Uh, the music school, to be honest, because uh, I was going to study guitar there because that's what I was best at. I was a good guitar player and and a terrible singer. And um, as I call in to schedule my audition, uh, the the person on the phone is like, hey, are you sure you don't want to be like a, a vocal major? Because we really need more male vocalists in our program. And I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, yeah, you don't want me to be <laughs> right. a male vocalist right. in your program. Sure. Uh, but afterwards, I just, uh, you know, I'm like, well, God, I didn't ask. I just kind of assumed that that was the bit, uh, what I was supposed to do. And so um, after just praying through, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to do that. So I went and auditioned um, as a vocalist. And it was horrific. Like, for one, it was like a classical bent school, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so you're supposed to be singing, like, you know, in yeah, Italian and, and, and German and uh-huh, French. Yeah, it. yeah, with all that. You know, and having an accompanist who's playing piano beside you. I was playing, like, you know, like a CCM song on my guitar, and it was bad, and I was shaking the whole time, and it was it was atrocious. After I finished my audition, um, the three professors who are um, judging me are – there's this complete silence in the room for probably a good five seconds. <laughs> and then one of them finally, in the most polite way possible, was like, um, are, are you sure you don't want to study guitar here? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So anyway, I do. Three weeks later, I get a letter in the mail that says, congratulations, you've been accepted into pre-music, which basically means that we're too embarrassed to officially associate you with our program. So we'll let you come and pretend that you belong. And if you improve enough in a year, then we'll let you continue with our program. Gotcha. And so um, that's how I learned how to sing. So I did improve enough to stay, thank goodness. And, yeah. um, and that was where the journey began. So um, I started right out of college then. I, um, I ended up leaving after two years of music school there. I transferred in. And I'd taken almost every music class I could except for conducting. And it just didn't make sense at that point to do another two years, um, to take like a couple extra classes and then the additional voice lessons I would have had to taken mm-hmm. to do the juries, all that good stuff. Um, and so I, I dropped out of that point and just started playing shows. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, started playing first, it was open mics and coffee shops and then trying to play house shows and whatever I could. Uh, Got the opportunity to go to Japan as an artist in residence for a year, um, wow. and which is just a crazy thing. And 
I really grew a lot there, learned a lot there. And for me, that was where the, the transfer happened from um, really my, my pursuit of CCM music mm-hmm. um, into just mainstream music and, and feeling like um, I didn't know that for me that I could honor God by doing anything other than CCM. Right. And while I, I sure. love worship music, I love that that style, that other genre, that's a lot of what I listen to. Um, I wanted to play music for anybody and people that didn't know uh, who Jesus was right. and be able to still put truth into that. So that's kind of, that was part of my journey coming. So then I started just writing totally differently started getting into the mainstream world, came back from Japan after that year and just, um, started playing more and more venues, uh, house shows still barely scraping by. I was working at a recording studio too, um, you know, and getting paid there to, to do some projects, but, um, make it enough to, to survive, but, right. and, and keep pursuing and, and going full on. And my, my strategy at that point was learn how to do everything. So I didn't have to depend on anybody, right. which for you listeners, that's a terrible strategy. Um, uh, because even if you learn how to do everything, you don't have time to do everything. And Good that, point. that's what I learned. Yeah. Um, and then I met my wife, Heather, uh, in, in Lawrence, Kansas. And, um, and when we, uh, on our honeymoon, she told me she wanted to quit her job and join me in music full time. And I said, that's awesome. We need a new business plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm pretty happy. If I'm making 1500 bucks a month, I'm feeling great about myself. And yeah. I haven't really approached with a good business strategy at this point. Like, I just play for whoever, whenever, for whatever. Yeah. And so some days you go and make 700 bucks at a show. Sometimes you go and make 50. Yeah. You know, I've lost money on tours. I've, I've worked insane hours for a month of, you know, 20 shows and have $1,000 you know, to, to show, for, show it, yeah. for it. So that's when, uh, so we just were trying to look at what else can we do? How else can we earn money? And we'd heard about the college market and I had a friend who had done that. Um, and, and she'd only done it in one region, but it'd been great for her. And, and so we're like, well, I think this is what we're supposed to do. So, uh, we went and took a, a business loan for us. I mean, I, I know your listeners are probably from all different backgrounds. So for us, it was just like, we're trying to follow God wherever he's taking us. And so we, we prayed through every decision. And so we're sitting in the in the bank parking lot about to go in and get a business loan to go do NACA, the college market. And we're like, we're going to try out three conferences this year, see how it goes. And then if it if it's good, we'll keep going. And um, well, so Real quick, what, what is NACA? What does that stand uh, for? So NACA is the National Association of Campus Activities. Okay. So it is the primary uh, way to get booked at colleges. And I'll, okay. I'll talk some more about that yeah. for sure. Um, and we didn't know much about it at the time. We just knew it existed mm-hmm. and it's out there. It's kind of this hidden thing that everyone knows is there, but no one knows how to get into it, right? right. And so um, so we just knew it was expensive and that our friend did one one of the conferences and it was great for her. And so um, after just, just seeking God about it again, we just felt like we were supposed to go all in and go to all conferences. So we took out twice the business loan that we meant to and uh, went to seven regional conferences that first year. Uh, our first anniversary I was actually at our first NACA conference. On your anniversary? <laughs> On our anniversary, which happened to be at, uh, in Buffalo, right by Niagara Falls, so it worked out. Oh, there you go. So, uh, you good. know, not, not so bad, but that's kind of how that was how our marriage was. We just hit the road together. Yeah. And, um, and so that first conference uh, that we booked... I think two shows, and so we're feeling pretty great about ourselves because college shows, up to that point, um, you know, I think seven hundred bucks was the most I'd ever made for a show, and we at those college shows, those first shows, we were booking ourselves for a thousand dollars, and um, and we were still some of the lower priced people on the market for sure, 
and we didn't know what we were doing. And even at that point, we didn't know that things like charging for travel and, you know, because I had no one to tell me what to do. I was just trailblazing. Sure. And not, not learning from other people. So um, that was kind of our, our way. And, and so we, we kind of had to learn a lot of things the hard way. But, you know, the next conference, we, you know, we, we booked at least one show every every conference that we went to. So at least broke even for what we were doing. Now, were you, were you showcasing at that, those first um, conferences or you just have a booth set up and letting, like letting people meet you and give out CDs, that kind of thing? Or? Just a booth. Okay. Yeah. We try to get showcases. Okay. Um, but on their website, it says that you can submit either audio or video and we didn't really have good video content. So we just submitted audio songs, which really, I wish it said on the website, but it didn't. That has a zero chance of getting a showcase. <laughs> just, <laughs> so, just sending in a CD, in a or, CD or, or an MP3. Or an MP3, yeah. Because they want to not... see what you look like on stage, okay. what you sound like for real. So if you don't have a video, you will not get booked. Yeah. Yeah. For shows. Yep. That's so good. You, will not get, you will not get booked to perform a showcase, is yeah. what you're saying, right there, for yeah. the conferences. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and we can circle back around to that. Yep. I'd love to tell more sure. about that because that is a big point. Yeah. Um, but after the seven conferences, um, we ended up with 17 shows our wow. first year. Um, and that's just meeting people. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And then uh, the now, next... Now, is that normal? Like, do you feel like that's a normal thing at this point for... No, I feel like we were quite abnormal in okay. a lot of ways. Um, at this point, we were approaching it very much from a business-like standpoint yeah. and coming with the plan, being very strategic after every marketplace. So the, the way the conference is, there's those six different showcase slots over three days, but then in between those, there's marketplace times where you have your booth, ours, you know, a 10 by 10 foot booth mm-hmm. where all the student buyers are coming through. And so uh, let me back up a little bit. So NACA is, is a space where, um, where the student activities boards from different college campuses all across America come together to meet up with entertainment, uh, from musicians to speakers to jugglers to, you know, video games um, and to bring back to their campuses for student engagement. So they, they work off of the, the college budgets. Um, they're the, if you went to college, that's the student activity fees that you pay. They go to that. And so the students are in charge of making the decision of what are we bringing back. Okay. And so at this, um, so in our, our marketplace, that's what uh, we did with the booth. And so we... Um, we had the idea before going, um, we're trying to think how we're going to make ourselves stand out. Um, you know, I thought we were decent, but definitely once we got into the market, we realized we are not by any stretch of the imagination, the best people here, the most talented people here, the best singers here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, most of these people are, are way better than us. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, but we, uh, we felt like we were personable. Like we, we, we told good stories. We put on a good show. We gave an atmosphere, especially of connection. And, and made people feel like, you know, that, and that was really our, our goal with what we were doing was connecting with people and, and, and helping them, um, you know, create songs to help them navigate life. And, and so we had the idea of um, doing, serving tea at our shows and doing, um, and just creating a, an atmosphere where people can let go of the stress and let go and just say, hey, this is different. This is something we used to sit down and be present, de-stress and be here with each other. And so we partnered with a tea company and so at our at our booth, we were actually serving loose leaf tea. Okay. So that's how we met people. That's how we, and then that's how we set ourselves apart in that sense. It's like, well, we do this tea music experience. So when you book us, you also get this free loose leaf tea that we bring for everybody at the show. And uh, honestly, that's what booked us that first year. Right. Um, was that connection? And so, and and then we had a, a great booth set up that we put a lot of time into um, the way it looked. So there was a homey space. We wanted people to come into our booth and feel like they could just be at peace. And be and um, because it can be a it's a very hyper 
um, situation. There's a lot of people always trying to get your attention and grab at you and be like, hey, you right. know, come into our booth. Come talk to us. Come book us. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to try to be the opposite of that in our atmosphere. And so um, and just care about people and just put that first. And we figured if that's, you know, if we care about people and we, we do something that blesses them and helps them and helps their campus, then that'll work. Uh, and, and so that first year we booked 17 shows the next year was 30 some shows. The next year is 40 some shows. Our last year doing it full time was 2015. And at that point we booked ourselves 60 college shows, um, for $120,000 in guarantees. Um, and so over the course of all those shows for that one year. Right. So for that one year for those 60 shows. And so. That was, um, we kind of felt like, okay, so we're doing it, right? <laughs> we're, yeah. We're, we're no longer now um, subsidizing our music business. We, this is now paying our bills. It's now able to give us savings, pay off debt. Right, which things. is the goal, yeah. is to be able to make a living, yeah. pay your bills, and support your family doing yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, creating music, so. doing what you love to do. Right. So, so real quick, um, with the tea experience, mm-hmm. so you reached out to Loose Leaf Tea. Yeah. Um, First of all, what made you think of we should have tea at our show? And then second, how did you think to go about contacting the company to tell them what you're doing? And, hey, would you be willing to come on board? And how, like, how does that work? Because somebody listening is thinking, oh, I, I, can, I need to get a sponsorship. That's going to help me get shows mm-hmm. doing wor- wherever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do I go about reaching out to an organization to, be, to sponsor me and what I do? Yeah. Yeah, not for sure. So for us, we love tea already. It's part of our lives. Um, and uh, just from living in Japan, for me and my, my wife lived in uh, Uganda for a while in South America, both tea drinking cultures. And so um, so it was, it was part of that. So we actually, so when we got the idea, uh, was just trying to say how we're going to set our show apart, how we're going to be different, mm-hmm. what makes us unique um, and, and special. And so that was when we, we got the idea of creating that atmosphere, you know, because mm-hmm. from everything from our merch table, there's thought behind that to what's that presentation like, what's that buying experience like for people, to, uh, to our shows, to the stories we tell, to the way we craft our set. Everything is, is about the experience of the person that's there. You know, what's, what's the atmosphere that we want to create? Um, you know, what do we want them to walk away with? And because if you get, if you create that connection to where their their life is impacted and changed in that instance to where they get what they need and what they're looking for, uh, even if they don't know what that is yet, <laughs> then right. um, then that's a lifelong connection, and and that's uh, someone that's that's with you on your journey because you're with them on their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we we got the idea. Just thinking through that, it was something that was connected to us already. Right. And so I think that finding as an artist, what is this? What is true to you what's what's something that you're passionate about that you love that's a natural partnership because a brand wants to be with someone that that you're passionate about if, if you're passionate about them they get excited about that because um you know that's what sells the best is when you love it and you, you use it and sure. so this company in particular we actually had their tea as a wedding gift <laughs> from somebody okay that's how we got introduced to it and then we signed up for their tea of the month club because we loved it okay and so that was so that was just our first one so we're like hey we love these guys already um, let's just see if they like our idea. So we, we told them what we were doing and said this could be a, a great thing for you know spreading their brand around. Um, and they loved the idea, passed on to their marketing department and said, hey, let's do it. So um, okay. that's how it happens. Now, when you get, when you get a, um, a sponsorship like that, do you 
does that company give you like a, a financial stipend to help support you or are they just giving you free tea? I'm not trying to go into too much detail because that's your, that's your business. I just want people to understand kind of how the process works. Does it, does it normally, they're giving you free stuff to take out with you to just to pass out and, and then put their name on a banner to help you out or do they kind of help financially support you guys? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever you're thinking about a sponsorship, you have to really think about it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. So the reason they are doing this, that they would sponsor you, is because they want to make more money. Right. You know, um, and they might they might believe in it if you're like a really trustworthy cause. They want to partner with that anyways, but but most of the time they're not looking for people just to give money to you. Sure, absolutely. Unless, you know, they want to return on their investment. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was, you know, we didn't have a big following. We never hit 3,000 Facebook likes on our page, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost there. But, yeah. like, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot to offer besides, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to all these campuses, and it's there. So our arrangement with them and what they were able to do is basically uh, we became we were able to get everything at cost, essentially, okay. like wholesale. So really, yeah. really cheap yeah. for high-quality things. So it didn't cost us much to, to operate. Um, and then we, and we were able to then to resell tea as merch as well. Right. Um, which is, was great just in loose leaf tea bags and stuff. And that's what we, we sent packages to colleges, you know, for sales, all those things. So they got benefited just by, um, by us spreading their product around. Mm -hmm. Um, and we got benefited, the benefit of getting a a partnership with something that was really affordable then that something that should have cost us hundreds of dollars was tens of dollars. Right. That makes sense. Um, but there are a lot of artists out there that have that following that has something that can, and you guys just have to think about in your proposal, um, you want to propose to that place, how are they going to make money? What's their return on investment? And be thinking about it and help them make money. Because mm-hmm. if you can, if you can help them help return that, then yeah, they're going to, they're going to stick with you. Because you, you don't want to grab somebody just for a one-time partnership, build a relationship. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was the name of your duo? Uh, so, so long solo. So long solo was yeah. you and your, your wife Heather's yeah. group. Yep. Uh, and so after a few years of doing the college market, um, then you basically, I think you said you were, you were retired the, the duo and then you've gone on into the, into booking. Yeah. Yeah. So that was shortly after we moved to Nashville actually to 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, we'd moved to Nashville, and uh, the start of 2016, um, and for me, again, it's, it's, it's that faith is trying to follow God where he's taking us, and, um, and so if you don't mind if I share that story quick, I will. Please do. So <laughs> um, it, was, it was just one, one morning in February of 2016, um, as I was just spending time praying, that uh, I felt like God was saying to me, hey, I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it? And I'm like, uh, no, not really. <laughs> what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, and and I just felt like he was saying really clearly, like, hey, now that you know how to do this, how to be an artist full time, it's time to stop and help other people do it. And so, um, you know, I've I've screwed um, my life up enough or myself up enough by by disobeying God <laughs> to yeah. to know better. And sure. so I'm like, I'm like, I know you've got my best interest in mind. I trust you. We've been on this road for a while. Uh, you know, with you, and so let's do it. So, um, it was a big transition, a, a big because we were finally making money, you know, and right. got all everything we've been investing in the last 10 years was finally paying off. Um, but it got me really excited because I feel like that's how I'm wired, and that's and that's what I, um, what's neat because I feel like 
you know, God knows how we're wired. And, and so being able to, to step into, I feel like the fullness of that, but I, it wasn't right before that time mm-hmm. because I needed to learn how to do it before I could help other people do it. Because yeah. before I was just trailblazing instead of getting to learn from all these other people. And over the course of that 10 years, I got to build relationships and learn from people that were wiser as we got into the markets, as we got into new opportunities, we got to meet people that were, were brilliant, that had done stuff before. And I, and I learned over that process that, oh, I got humbled a lot, which is awesome. <laughs> you, need, you need that. Humility is important. And, yeah. and just taught me like, no, I can't do everything. I shouldn't do everything myself. I really need to embrace this community aspect of we're supposed to work together with people and learn from each other. And, um, and so ever since I lived in Japan, I wanted to do for other people what my boss did for me there. Uh, the way that he poured into me, I wanted to be able to give that back. And so, so starting Brave Enough was really the opportunity to do that. And so we stopped uh, February, then we, we said, okay. And we, we stopped booking ourselves shows. We only played what we already had contracted. And, uh, and we launched the agency, built our roster. And, um, and so 2016 was our first year of having showcasing artists. And um, we, had, we had, through the course of our process as So Long Solo, learned how to get showcases. It took us three years. Um, but we figured it out <laughs> to be able to showcase at the, at, at the, at NACA, the NACA conference. Conferences. Yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, that's, so that's how we, we got into that. So I think we had something like 15 artists our first year. Um, we, we currently have about 50 people that we represent. So from musicians to speakers, to poets, um, and branching out in some other areas as well. Uh, and so it's, and, uh, and it's just been, it's been a quite a journey because we've been able to, even last year we, um, were the Ap- APCA is the other conference like that, like NACA, okay. APCA, um, and I'll explain those a little bit too. But uh, NACA doesn't have awards for for us, but APCA does, and so we were awarded the 2019 Agency of the Year there, which was a huge honor. And wow. and so just be able to to see where um, where God's taken us and see what our artists are doing. Like this, we have a roster we're really proud of. But um, yeah, so we learned how to showcase, and maybe that's a good thing to to share for people that want to get into the college market. Yeah. Because um, really, we were an anomaly as far as just working the booth and selling ourselves that way. It can be done. It's been done before. We're not the only ones, but it's rare. Most people that come in and do it um, are gone. You really need a a two-year commitment at least for starters because you have to build relationships in the college market. Mm -hmm. And so you can can attack the college market one of two ways. You can do it as a self-rep act like we did, or you can go underneath an agency like Brave Enough or, um, you know, there's several out there. And... um, and so there's there's differences between those, and I'd be happy to go into those. Yeah, let's do like. it. So, let's talk about that. Um, so self rep, of course, you're footing all the bill. You're paying the membership fee. Um, you're, so in order to get a showcase at NACA, before you can apply for a showcase, and that application is through sending a video submission to the selection committee. Not an um, audio one. <laughs> yeah, not the audio. <laughs> Don't do that. It, sh- it should be. It should include uh, live performance footage. Um, absolutely. If you have a great music video, a little bit of that too. Um, and three to five minutes max, you know, you can submit like a couple different videos if you want to, if you don't want to cut stuff together, um, you can submit up to three videos that they'll watch a little bit of each. Um, and that can be a great way to go. But, um, but they want to see live performance, especially that's really important to them. And it's gotta be great. It's gotta be captivating. Um, it should be mostly covers probably because they're watching 400 videos and uh, about a three to four day span, um, locked in a hotel room, 
and wow. they're really tired, and you want to connect as quickly as possible with them. They just don't have capacity to take in original music and to see, like, how, how did that verse turn into that chorus? Oh, that was a brilliant... I love the way you set that up, and then the bridge, the way that brought it back around. Us as songwriters, we love our, our songs, we love our babies, right? you know, and, and we're like, oh, this is great, but here's the, the truth of it. That first round of selection, they only watch 90 seconds, okay, and then they vote yes or no. Okay. So you get 90 seconds to impress yourself upon and make them fall in love with you. Um, and you so doing make, a cover, a song that they already are familiar with helps it, that process it for does. them. It does. It does. Okay. And then just having a great performance of it. Right. Um, and something that they that they're familiar with that they love, you know. So something that's been just released recently, or popular like five years ago. Because again, most of these are students making decisions. So we think about us, like our most impressionable songs, the songs that never leave us, are the ones where we were our anthem when we were thirteen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, up through high school, you know. Sure. Those songs are like the ones that shape us, you know. So if you play those songs, um, then you're going to connect. And you're going to bring back that feeling that they had. So th- those, that's what I tell my artists to do anyways. Uh, yeah. And uh, and we've had a lot of success with getting those showcase slots. When you're doing, when you're sending artists in to do showcases or when they're submitting songs for a showcase, um, what is the preference of a solo artist or duo acoustic, you know, act versus a full band of some sort? Is there... For the for the conference people, is there a preference to have one of one over the other? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Both have their place. Okay. There are more opportunities for solo duos because okay. there's um, there's a high amount of what they call coffee house shows, yeah. which you're often playing inside the student unions or um, you know it can be in an actual coffee house on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do a lot of those. A lot of them have monthly programs for that. Um, sometimes even weekly, depending on the campus, um, and and they, they pay well. Uh, and oftentimes they, they don't have more of a budget for a band than they do for their solo acts. So you're not necessarily making more money by bringing in a band. Um, our bands get booked the most towards the end of the semester or the start of the semester. Because um, that's when they kick off. To, yeah, you kick know. off or fu- finales exactly. of, a, of a semester or exactly. a school year, that kind of a thing. Yep. There's, there's definitely exceptions to that too. But like our most booked acts are typically the, the solo duo acts. Mm-hmm. Um, Duo is great because it can add some variety, add some more into it. Um, but yeah, what's sort of the base rate that colleges prefer to uh, to pay? Mm-hmm. Band because you said the, the solo artist is the same pay as a full band. Mm-hmm. So is there a, like a base rate to get into it? Uh, and then and if there is, and how does it? You know what what levels does it go up? Like how long do you have to be in the market? doing the college market before your rates, you can charge more. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, it's a, definitely a hard thing to navigate. Um, but most acts come in at, at $1,250, so $1,250 okay. plus what they call SLMRT, Sound Lights, Meal Room Travel. So definitely always ask for travel on top of that. And, and meals. we made our mistake our first year, lost money on some shows because it can get expensive to fly out to Washington and get a car rental and yeah, <laughs> you know, do all absolutely. that stuff. Um, and so they're used to that. But there's also this thing. Um, and so some people come in at 1000 I've seen people come in cheaper. There's just no need to. Um, you know, I think if you come in at 1000 you're definitely going to be one of the lowest priced people at the conference. Okay. Um, which might be a good strategy for you to get going. Just to get in, maybe. Yeah, it might now, not, you're might saying the worst. that would be as someone who's self-repping themselves? 
as opposed to uh, being with an agency already? Because you're, as an agency, you're you're setting. Are you setting the rates that you're telling? We do, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's generally pretty comparable between. Oftentimes, we see self-repped people actually charging more or trying to charge more, mm-hmm. or charging way less because we're used to the market. We know what the prices are, uh, what's expected, um, and so most people are getting paid between twelve fifty, like twelve fifty and twenty five hundred. Okay. Um, and so there's not not a whole lot of people going for a lot more than that. Um, and then because you, you got you've got a lot of people too coming off of like The Voice, American Idol, even past winners. You know, people like Chris Allen has been doing a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, Plain White Tees showcased at Nationals a couple of years ago. Um, so and like and I think the Plain White Tees were going for something like twenty grand at the time. Um, as they're kind of coming back into the market, they're back up more, probably double that. But um, you know, I think Chris Allen was coming in single dates. If I, don't quote me, but somewhere around ten grand, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but most people um, are in that twelve fifty to twenty five hundred range. Uh, you don't want to price yourself out, especially if you're doing coffee house type stuff and you're trying to get it going. I was coming at twelve fifty. By the time like so long solo, we we were charging um, two thousand by the end of our our thing. We kept bumping up our price every year. Yeah. Um, but we also had something that was unique in the tea, and so people, if they wanted to have the tea, then they brought us back, and so we got rebooked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you let me ask you this: when you are able to to rebook, because yeah. you now you've started building relationships yep. with the colleges, are you having to go through one two two questions? Are you having to go through NACA again to get rebooked, or can you be booked directly by the college at that point that you've already been there and got established that relationship with them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it is, the I mean, the, the relationship's established, so we go straight to them. It's not like we're booking at the conference all the time. Right. Um, but there's so much turnover that if you're not constantly present, you do see fall off that's pretty significant. Okay. So we definitely um, definitely notice that. So if you're not at the conference the next year, um, you can get forgotten pretty quickly. Um, now, are you able to are you able to rebook a show like a meet like we, just, we finished playing the show. Mm-hmm. Before I even leave to go home, can you say, hey, let's do this again next year? And like, will they, do, oh, yeah, do the colleges yeah. ever do that? We always plant the seed. So we'd always, like, at our show, be like, hey, when we come back next year, we'll do this. Yeah. Or we'll sing this. You know, we would just put it in there subtly. Yeah. But then uh, we always send a follow-up email after every show. We did it then. We do it now. Um, just saying, hey, how did everything go? Uh, was there anything we could do better? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can we get quotes for the future? You know, stuff like that for promotion. And then we'd always ask. The last question would always be, would you like us like like to have us back in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and but so, you never actually physically book a show for the following not year while right you're there on campus. Yeah, no. No, we would just let them enjoy the moment, enjoy that presence. Um, but then in the follow up, oftentimes we would get a rebooking right away or mm-hmm. sometimes schools would say yeah but we we'd love to bring you back but we don't bring you back the same artist um every year every year you know yeah. it's a two-year or three-year rotation mm-hmm. but we had one school that brought us back back to back semesters like five times you know wow. so um so there's there's that too so um you can always be the exception um, sure and then i guess uh, circling back a bit to the, the to what it takes to self rep versus agency mm-hmm. um so we talked about that showcase video so in order to submit that showcase video, you have to buy a booth, and then you have to buy um, uh, your membership, of course, and you have to buy a booth for each conference you're submitting to. So if you're submitting to seven conferences, by the time you pay a few hundred bucks for a booth at each conference and your membership fee, you're already $3,000 in 
before you even do submission fees, which are about $100 per conference. So how much is the, how so, much is the, the fee to be just to even go? Um, so $300 for the booth, okay. uh, approximately. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's 326 right now, something like that. Okay. Um, and, and then your membership, I forget what it is exactly. I think it's around 800 right now. Okay. But um, that's, that's per that's, year. Yeah, but that's per year. And that's before you can even get um, considered to showcase. Okay. That's not even guaranteeing you a showcase. You don't get that money back. And so then you're paying your submission fees. You're in almost four grand before you know if you got a showcase or not. Then, of course, going to the conference, you're, buying for, you're paying for your delegate pass, you know, another few hundred bucks per person that's there. Um, if you get your showcase, there's a showcase fee of another three to four hundred bucks for a regional conference. Um, so it's a very expensive endeavor. And of course, if you're booking shows at that rate, it pays itself back quickly and then more. But you definitely have to come into it with that investment mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going with an agency, that's where it's um, uh, there's pros and cons. So the pro is that the agency generally covers every agency is a little bit different, but generally covers the the membership, the booth fee, and basically lets you skip straight to the submission fee. So you just pay the submission fees, the showcase fees, and you don't have to get a full delegate pass when you go. You get a free a free day when you're showcasing. Um, and you can pay buy day passes for like fifty bucks if you know if you want to be on the the other days to sell yourself in the in the booth. So um, that's kind of the different pass now. Uh, and of course, you've got the relationships that are established with an agency. You don't have to go back to um, to every conference every year to still have representation there and still be present to stay in their minds, uh, which is great because when you showcase one year, you can't showcase the next year at the same conference. Um, okay, they alternate, um, and so. So that's that's a, one great thing about it. Now, if you're self-repped and you're a good business person, a good salesperson, then it might be a great thing for you if you have a good team, um, because I can't sell one artist all the time. That would you know not work <laughs> for yeah. for our roster or and and our clients would get tired of me. But if you are that entity, you know people never got tired of hearing from us at Still Long Solo, and we could do constant things that. Um, where we're reaching out only about us. Mm-hmm. And so there's, if you're a good salesperson, that can be a great route for you. Mm-hmm. Now, we were also spending, while being full-time musicians, we're spending three months of that every year going to conferences. So um, so that's the, the NACA space. Now, the APCA space um, is is different completely. Is it okay if I share that? Please, yeah, jump in? absolutely. So APCA is a, a for-profit, where NACA is a non-profit. NACA has been around 60 years. People who have done NACA include from like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen up, uh, you know, Andy Grammer um, was recently inducted into the NACA Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there's a, and, and on the comedian side, you know, Carrot Top and uh, Conan. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean the, the people who have done NACA is significant. And so it's been around 60 years. APCA has been around just over 25. They had a 25th anniversary last year. Um, and it's, um, it's much looser. It's not as rigid. Uh, it tends to be more, um, it's, it's run by Eric, the, the president, the founder. And so he makes the decisions on showcases. So it's, it's basically pay to play more or less. He has to approve it. You still have to get approved, but you don't pay any money unless you're showcasing. Now, the flip side of that is that it's really expensive to showcase there. Okay. Um, so you end up paying before, like at, at APCA, you're required to stay in the, the host hotel. Um, you have to pay for a, a booth for each showcase, and the booths are about eight hundred bucks. So your your whole fee um, as an artist to showcase at APCA is around two thousand dollars okay. per conference. Now, but you're guaranteed a slot. So if you're really sure of yourself, you think you got something that's fantastic and that's going to resonate with eighteen to twenty five year olds, 
then I mean you book two shows and you're making a profit, um, and then you're building yourself in the market. So it can be a great. Um, we we like to do both because it's there. It's more opportunities, and it helps us regulate a little bit more. Where NACA can be. Um, kind of a crapshoot honestly and mm-hmm. as far as what's going to land um right because uh no matter how awesome some artist is there's you know we've got like uh we have one of our artists is Haley clean camera who's absolutely fantastic she's got over three hundred fifty thousand subscribers on youtube you know tens of millions of views all that great stuff that's awesome and just a uh, voice of an angel great loop artist uh, incredible. And so her first year in NACA, she got three showcases. She got NACA South, um, which was the first. She booked uh, about 20 shows, and I think it was the, either the top or second most booked music act at that conference. South is historically lower on site. Then at NACA National, she got a sampler showcase, um, which she performed great in. That's a five-minute showcase versus a 10, but it was on the last day of the conference. And um, so she booked, I think, three or four shows from that conference which was a disappointment for that you know because we know what she can do and then um at northern plains uh a month later she booked 50 shows wow you know and so it's like it's so the, the one the, the bookings can go a lot like from region to region no matter how great you perform you know i've seen someone do the same showcase in one region you know and book that 20 and then the next one do the same showcase and book two and it's, it's just, we just scratch our heads sometimes. <laughs> and there's things like you can't control, such as your slotting, what, what day you are, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why it's important for consistency to do as many as you can, mm-hmm. you know, because it helps you be consistently on the road and keep that profit and, and, um, and cover those dips that you will have. Right. Um, but then again, then the following year, she didn't get selected for any showcases. So and even though she just crushed it, you know, it's and so we just scratched our heads. We're like, why didn't like how did you pass that over the second time mm-hmm. when everybody loved her and we got tons of rebookings? Um, and so now, was she able to even though she didn't get any showcases that following year? Was she still able to book shows? Yeah, just because people had seen her previously, or because you guys are are pushing her and that kind of thing. Both, okay. both. Yeah. So yeah. she got rebookings, and then she's on our roster. So. You know, we have we have relationships too. We have schools that will just book ten shows with us a year and say, right. "Hey, who and that you, you can do that these? without having to go through yeah. either of the organizations, just straightly directly from you." Right, yeah. right. But still, the primary way of getting shows is through showcasing, mm-hmm. um, no doubt. And so, now uh, can yep. can anyone can a solo artist or or an independent artist that's booking themselves, mm-hmm. if they reach out to a college mm-hmm. student activities board mm-hmm. on their own you know just call them up and say hey i'm so-and-so i'm an artist i would love to come play coffee house you know at your school sometime this you know this following semester or year um can they get shows booked on their own doing that or are they going to is the the school just going to bypass it and say no we've got to go through one of the organizations go through NAC or APCA to do that yeah almost that every sense? time NAC or APCA it's, it's a one in a thousand chance of getting a booking that way yeah um, you're basically a telemarketer at that point, and what do we all do with telemarketers when yeah. they call? Yeah. Like, um, I don't know you, I don't have a relationship with you, why are you calling me and mm-hmm. ruining my day? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't work. Um, and you really do have to go through it and be present, because even even when you have the relationships, um, they don't like phone calls, you know? And, and, and still a lot of them, they book at the conferences, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, a lot of times when we talk with people, 
Um, some people book with us regularly throughout the year or have certain times when they'll call us up and be like, hey, well, okay, let's talk through our schedule, right? But um, but still, there's an equal amount or not, or if not more, they're like, yeah, we make those decisions at the conference or mm-hmm. in the week after the conference. We don't make decisions until we see the act showcase, and then mm-hmm. that's when we do it. So it's really important to be present. How many, you have 50 artists, roughly. Mm-hmm. How many of your artists get to showcase at one conference? Um, so it depends. So um, we are what's called a tier two agency. So we basically pay more for the right to have more potential showcases. Um, but still, like, uh, we, we average, I think we average four to five artists per conference. Okay that are either showcasing or an alternate for a showcase. Uh, we've had as many as seven um, and, um, you know, as, as few as two. So it just depends. And there, how many conferences throughout a year? Um, so there's there's seven regionals in NACA and then one national convention. So there's eight total. Eight total. And then APCA has five total. Okay. So around 13 mm-hmm. between the two organizations throughout the year. Yeah. And so you're you're able to get at least one or two of your of your artists to perform at each of those, mm-hmm. trying to spread out the opportunities between all the artists, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so we and we've been always looking to grow and expand outside of that. We started mm-hmm. with college market because that's what we knew, yep. and it's the easiest way to get people that don't necessarily have a draw yet, you know, built up mm-hmm. to make money to build a living. You know, and yep. be able to invest into their careers. So this this past uh, year and a half, we've been focused on building outside of that. So we started attending fair and festival conferences, um, and also brought on a venue agent to be booking venues and such like that. Uh, so um, expanding beyond that for sure. But those thirteen conferences are the ones that, if you want to be in in the college market, that's mm-hmm. where you go. Okay. And so outside of that, you said you're you've brought on someone on staff that like their sole job is to try to book like clubs and theaters and venues like that, that type of yep, the yep, kind of thing. Absolutely. Kind so of the, the whole gamut. Yeah. What is their, what is their job? Are they reaching out Are they calling or emailing a venue and telling them, Hey, we got this roster of artists, you know, love to have someone come perform at your venue. Like that's sort of the, the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of the groundwork. Um, we have a few artists that, that can demand draws already. And so we're, we're working with, okay, who we, we're kind of starting with a few, to just try to, um, mm-hmm. to build that, that people that have something, again, going back to the ROI, you can't just go to a venue and say, hey, please book me and pay me this much money when you've never played in that city before. Right. You have to have something to offer uh, for most of that. There, there are situations where there's soft tickets, like um, uh, like we have a string quartet that we want to start booking at, at performing arts centers, PACs. And so um, for, for those, a lot of them have subscription tickets. They have people that, that pay to, to go to X amount of shows, and so they're just looking for content that meets that audience mm-hmm. that our quartet would be great for. But um, for a lot of them, it's it's just looking at the numbers, looking at the socials, saying, hey, what's our following? What's our, our tour history? Um, and there's no substitute, even when you have an agent, if you know the more you bring to the table, the better <laughs> as a band. You have to be creating new content all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're not creating new content, you're falling off the map, and people don't care. Um, you know, that's, that's the only way that you stay, that you keep up with your fan base, that you keep people wanting to come to your shows and, and to stay active. And that's also how we sell our acts. No one's going to book an act that we don't have great video of, period. Um, no matter what the relationship is. It's like... <laughs> yeah, now so. let me ask you this. If, with your artists, if you 
if you bring on an, a new artist mm -hmm. on your roster and they don't have video content or, you know, that kind of stuff, do you guys help create that for them so they've got something that you that you can represent and, you know, to use to pitch? That's that's why we started our production arm. Okay. Um, you know, it's because for, for photography, for video, for branding content, all that stuff, because I was realizing how much that was missing and lacking. And I knew that from an artist myself, how hard it was to get that content, mm -hmm. um, to get quality stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of us rely on our friends. And occasionally you've got a friend who's actually really talented, but most of the time it comes across as an amateur did it, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look professional. Um, and, you know, we get tons of submissions all the time, you know, and I'm sure that the submissions for people to, for be, people on people to be on our roster yeah. and and so it's you know i get 100 emails a day and not all submissions but all kinds of things and mm -hmm. so for me to look at something I'll, I'll i'll open every submission that we get i'll take a look at it but it's often a cursory glance and if there's not already a lot happening um good branding good content um and i feel like they're the carry the character that we want to have on our roster um you know, I might even have time to respond. Part of it is because I always want to have a thoughtful response. I want to always give people a reason why. So, mm -hmm. so I don't always respond to everybody because um, I don't want to just be that no. <laughs> yeah. Nope, sorry. Um, but I want to be able to tell people why. Um, but the biggest reason most time is content. Is like if you don't have video yet, we can't sign you because um, I need to see that there's investment there because it's expensive. I, I talked about what it's like to get into these these markets, even though we cover a lot of the costs. Um, you know, our overhead last year was 150 grand hmm. as an agency. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, so we have to make 150 grand to break even. Right. Um, which is, is not insignificant. And, uh, and so even with us carrying most of that, our artists to be in the college market, to be paying for their submission fees for the showcase fees, you know, it's going to cost them at least a few thousand dollars, you know, a, mm -hmm. a year to be invested. Mm -hmm. Now the goal is to make a lot of that back uh, and then more and then much more. Yeah. But, um, but you have to have some investment cash. And I remember what it was like when I was first starting my artist career to feel like paying like a $20 submission fee was just brutal to me. Oh yeah. And like, totally. and I used to cry about, you know, a hundred dollars here, $200 there and make everything as cheap as possible. And, 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 and I learned from that experience that that does not move you forward. <laughs> you really have to think of it as I am a small business I need investment capital, whether I'm working for that myself or bringing on an investor. I need capital to get going. And so we have to see um, before we sign an artist that there is capital, that they ha they understand that this is a business uh, and that they are invested in it themselves um, and not just counting on other people to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why your branding matters so much. And so, so that's why we started the production side of it to help people get good branding, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but... Um, and help people create video, create great, get great photos. But um, we never sign anybody unless they already have video content. That's good. of some sort. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like. Does that have to be top quality before you to sign them, or like not just the always, fact that they've got something out there? Not always. If they're, I mean, occasionally you got someone that's just so ridiculously talented, and you just you just love them so much that you're like okay, I want to invest in this person, mm -hmm. but that takes a lot of time. Yeah. And so you can't really have more than one or two people like that on your roster at a time because mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's such a commitment. Yeah. Um, what are you looking for in artists when, when you're looking to sign somebody? What is it? That, is there a certain genre you're looking for currently? Or 
sure. certain personality? Like, what is it that you guys specifically as brave enough are looking for? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, we might be a little bit unusual in the sense that in, in the market, I'm, I'm sure this isn't only us, but like character is always our first thing. So we look for people um, who are, are humble, who are others focused, uh, who um, aren't uh, success over everything. You know, and so whenever I see someone and I, I sense that there's a, a lot of selfish ambition there and I'm not against I, I, I like people that are that have drive. They're like, hey, we're doing this. We're working hard. We're doing it. But but also I look for people that are helping to make other people successful mm-hmm. um, because I've, when people are only focused on their own thing and, and on trying to survive themselves and not giving out to others, um, I find there's a lot of underlying things under the surface that just aren't healthy mm-hmm. and that can be damaging. Uh, to us and others and one of our core values is we want every experience that anyone has with us or with our artists to make their day better and so we don't want someone showing up to a venue and being a diva or treating other people like dirt yeah. or um, uh, we have to be able to feel like we can trust them and trust them to treat other people the right way to do the right thing even when it's hard even when um, stuff doesn't go right because things will not always go right so we look for people that that are the that have that gracious characteristic um so that's always our first filter, no matter how talented you are. We've turned away people that could make us a lot of money um, because um, we didn't feel like they had that, that character trait. And, um, and that's exhausting for us. It's exhausting for other people to work with that. So sure. <laughs> kind of learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, so um, that's always the first thing. And then as far as – but then, of course, they have to be great at what they do. Mm-hmm. They have to be highly talented. The talent level um, across the board is higher than it's ever been, thanks to YouTube and people being able to learn from early ages how to be how to be great, and, and they've been yeah. doing it. They've been maybe even singing on YouTube since they were five, yeah. <laughs> you know, which That's is crazy. crazy. Uh, so you've got to be a great vocalist in the college market, in my opinion. Um, yes, Bob Dylan once did the college market. I, I'm convinced that if Bob Dylan did it today from the same point, he never would have succeeded. He never mm-hmm. would have gotten a showcase yeah. because now you're, you're competing with the voice and people, people, the attention span is so short. They compare so quickly. They're so critical uh, without being that's how they're conditioned to be, right? right? And so they're instantly in that first five seconds deciding whether or not you're better than the person who was just on stage or the one after you. And they're doing it based off mostly your vocals. And so if you got a great vocal run, awesome. If you're pitchy at all, if you're missing a note, scratch that. You're not booking a show. <laughs> you know? Wow. It's, it's almost that level. Um, and so we look for people. Um, honestly, I probably wouldn't have signed myself, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's, uh, so I'm saying this, but you might have a different path. Your listeners might have a different path. Just because I'm saying this is the way that we do it as an agency doesn't mm-hmm. mean there's not a space for you in this in it sure. to work it. So because we made it work. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And so, but that's what we look for. We also look for people that you have to be relevant to 18 to 25 year olds. You have to be playing stuff that's current. You know, that's great that you love the Beatles and Coldplay. It's just not relevant anymore mm-hmm. to 18 year olds. A lot of them don't even know who those people are. You know, you look at... Um, uh, when when Kanye did the the collaboration with well, why am I going blank on the Beatles lead singer Nate Paul no, McCartney? Thank you. I'm like I'm like I'm not. It's not Paul White for some reason. That's all <laughs> in my head. I'm like it's not Paul White. Paul McCartney. I'm so tired. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know when he did the collaboration with Kanye, everybody's like, "Who's this Paul McCartney guy? He better you know thank 
<laughs> thank Kanye for making him famous. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, really? You don't know who that is? Yeah. And it's just, it's just the reality that people don't care. And so as musicians, we tend to, we tend to want to pull off B tracks and, and we want to know those people that no one else knows. Right. But you have to realize that the average listener is casual, you know, and that's who you're playing for. That's that, that's your mass audience. And so what are you doing that, that reaches the masses? Mm-hmm. Um, the college market is not a niche market. You know, it, it's, it's, it is in the sense that not many people know about it and it's, it's, uh, it's intimate. Um, but to succeed there, you have to have mass appeal um, over a wide, a wide specter, a wide variety. Now, when you are talking about, you know, doing a lot of covers and things like that, now that for sure when you're doing the conference, doing showcasing to get in, to have any chance of actually getting booked. Mm-hmm. But once you actually start booking shows and you're actually going out to play shows at the colleges, what is the percentage of covers versus original songs in playing at an actual show at a college at that point? Sure. Uh, I told my artists to do anything from 50, 50 to 70, 30 in any direction covers originals. Um, 70, 50, 50 or 70, 70 covers, 30 originals. Yeah. Or it can be th- uh, 30 covers, 70 originals. Okay. If your if your stuff's really strong and okay. really and poppy, easy to catch on to gotcha. quickly. Yeah, um, that was some. Uh, I remember I said about the email we sent out for mm-hmm. follow up after every show. Right. Uh, our first feedback after our first show was, "We love the show. Um, we wish you played more covers to bring people in." Gotcha. Um, and so we we took that to heart, and that's that's definitely what's there, what's present in the market. Now, the more that you return to places, the more that you have a following or people that that come to your show and already know who you are, then you can start playing more originals. Um, but my general rule is don't play any more than two songs of one or the other in a row. So don't, don't play three originals in a row, three covers in a row. Gotcha. Um, you know, so just kind of keep it sprinkled like that. Mm -hmm. So that you kind of, you're engaging people with stuff they know, and then you're introducing them to yourself at the same time slowly. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it's like in in a relationship, you don't start out by talking about yourself the whole time or else you're just going to, people are going to tune you out. Mm-hmm. You know, but you talk about what's important to them. You listen to them. You let you hear about them. You you, you connect on their level, mm-hmm. and then you can start to have the right to start sharing about yourself, and then they actually care. Yeah. So it's that same way when you're introducing yourself to a new market. Um, and so at the for the showcases, for showcase submission videos, I say mostly covers. Um, give them a taste of that original to show them that you are a good songwriter because I think it's important. We only want to sign people that actually make good music themselves too. You know? right. um, but just like, you know, a 30 to 60 minute clip or 30 to 60 second clip, I'm sorry, of that yeah. original song just so they can check that box and say, okay, he's not just a cover artist. He's also a great writer. She's also a great writer. Um, but stick to mostly covers there. But on, yeah, on campus, yeah, you can, you have much more latitude. Yeah. Um, people are probably be wondering too about like what's the show like on campus. Yeah. Um, and so it can be a great show. Sometimes you might have two, three hundred students there just to listen. Sometimes it'll be a festival atmosphere where there might be a couple thousand students there even. Um, oftentimes you're going to be background music. Um, you are working with college students. You might be their first show they've ever done. And so the most, even though we give them the best chances to succeed as possible, try to set them up for success, you know, they might 
have a final that week that they're supposed to promote your show, and so they just study it and blow it off. And uh, and then when they do it last minute, they put the wrong date on the flyers and on all the emails that go out, <laughs> and and two people show up to your show. Sometimes you must be speaking from experience. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, I could <laughs> I could I could share stories. Uh. Um, and sometimes you know you're in a cafeteria playing music, and there's 15 people paying attention. Uh, even though there's a thousand people there, there's only ten that are looking at you. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so what? Let me ask so, you this: What's the point of of playing in a cafeteria, knowing that a thousand people are ignoring you and 10, 15 people are, are actually watching? You like, know, why would why would a college book yeah. that particular venue? Do you? That's a good question. Um, you know, and I think I think part of it. Think about like a restaurant. Like most yeah. people there aren't watching the show, they but they like the live music atmosphere. Sure, that makes sense. So uh, it's it's atmosphere creating a lot of times. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I don't think they put the thought into it, mm-hmm. and so they were they were definitely shows that we've walked away from. Like, why did they have us do yeah. that? And I think I think that's part of it is um, that they're still learning, and that's something that we as an agency try to do is help educate, help grow them, help them do great programming. That's good. So that it's successful for them. As so you're well working with us. the schools, trying to help educate them. Yeah, we want to. Yeah, that. yeah. So we that's we good. invest into that, and um, because we want it to be good for everybody. Yeah, you know. Um, um, I want to shift gears for a minute yeah. and go back to, so you said you've brought on someone who does, who does venue mm-hmm. booking, who's doing like clubs and theaters and yeah. um, performing arts centers and things like that. Yeah. Can you talk about the process that when you guys are trying to connect with a venue, mm-hmm. wanting to bring an artist into a venue of that kind of nature, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like? How do you go about connecting with them and telling them about who you guys are and your artists and why they should bring in, you know, cause it's yeah. a different, it's different than the college market yeah. as far as like doing knack and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally different, uh, process completely. You know, at, at NACA you're doing booking on site. Um, a lot of it, or at least getting those leads. Um, and they're just looking for great talent, uh, that students can enjoy. Um, of course at the venues, they're looking for, people buying tickets, buying drinks, you know, depending on the venue. So, um, so it has to be that I wouldn't pitch someone to a venue that I don't think will will actually get them people there or that won't be, it won't help them. Mm -hmm. You know, some venues do have built in audiences or they can put them on tickets, but you have to be careful about. So, um, so a lot of it's offering. I think that the strategy is, is really trying to work with other artists who, uh, who might have following those cities and trading, sharing those those cities, sharing those fan bases, bringing synergy together to introduce new markets. Um, and then just working it, promoting it, being creative about your promotion for those shows. But when you approach a venue, I mean, that's what they want to know. They want to know how many people can you see. And venues know that most people just are blowing smoke. They, they I mean, the, the common phrase in the market is when someone tells you how much, how many people they can draw, knock off a zero. So if they say they can bring 500, expect 50, Right. you know, um, yeah, because I mean, oftentimes that's the case. People rarely see, I mean, how many shows have we had that we expected this many people and then, oh, this happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then sometimes they do exceed. It's like, oh, wow, there's a ton of people here. This is awesome. Um, but you really have to, to do that. So when you approach them to uh, realize that they are getting hundreds of emails, they're getting approached. Everybody wants to play. That's every artist's thought. Um, when they're creating music is, okay, now I want to go play this for people. And, and also, how am I going to make money? I'm going to go play shows, right? Um, and so you have to make it easy for them. 
So when you're writing a venue, um, put it right into the title of the subject so they know what it is. Like, you know, booking this band on this date, <laughs> you know, um, so they know what they're looking to fill. And, okay. and, and look at their calendar in advance. Look who's there. If, you, um, if you're in a city where you've got fans, offer to be a support. Say, hey, um, I see this act coming through. Do you have support lined up for that yet? Um, you know, I can, um, the last time I played in this, you know, here's my numbers from these last venues I played at. Um, we will promote this show to bring out this many again to, to support this artist. And that builds up that goodwill um, and okay. also gets you into a, a better slot at that venue. So, you know, you might be playing, um, and I think Mercy and Lounge has a capacity of, what, 500, 400? Which seems high to me. That'd be packed in there. But, um, but you know, you might you might go in there to support somebody who's touring through, and maybe you can bring in 25 to 50 people. But then those people start coming back. Maybe you can get a better slot the next time mm-hmm. and, then, and build that goodwill with the, with the venues. So it really is about uh, they have to know that they can trust you, that you can build that relationship. And so we go about it by building relationship. Um, we've been uh, we we joined IEBA a couple of years ago and started building, uh, which is the International Entertainment Buyers Association here in Nashville. So they have a national conference every year. It's it's where basically all the buyers come from clubs, theaters, all the way up to stadiums and arenas, um, fairs, festivals. You know, everybody who's buying for venues significantly is is there. Um, it's a great buyer's conference uh, and a great time to get to know people, build those relationships. Um, when we can trust you, and, and that's a, a, but then once you have that relationship, that just more or less guarantees they'll open your email and take your call, but you still have to have something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so um, so think about it from that standpoint. A lot of people want to jump right into to playing their best venues, their favorite venues. You have to start by probably playing open mics in your town. <laughs> and make sure you've got a show people want to come to. Mm-hmm. Maybe playing those restaurant gigs for four hours. I think the Beatles played something like eight hours a day for like five days a week at a bar um, in, in London. I think that, that was their story for a year. And that's and apparently they started out pretty terrible, but by the end of that, they were pretty great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, they, they put in their time. And so as an artist, you need to put in that time to, to become a great artist. Um, and, then, and then intentionally build that fan base. Um, so... That's important. So that's something that, that we did as, as artists. Um, I can share about that if you want to. Yeah, that technique. absolutely. So like, um, it's, it's all very strategic, you know, and, and this comes back to like, we had an artist that we loved, a friend of ours that we're always like, man, you're so good on stage. Like every time you speak, it's so brilliant. And the way that you get people to sign up for your list and everything, it's just like, it's perfect. How do you do it? And it seems like so natural and off the cuff. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm very anal about this. Like I, I write everything out like weeks in advance. I know exactly what I'm going to say, when I'm going to say it, and I've crafted it. Wow. And I practice it, practice it, practice it, so it comes off flawless. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so what looks very natural and easy is actually hard work and consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we, one of the things that we did, um, and we planned it into every set, um, is we wanted to partner with, uh, with a people that we believed in so there's these people that planted trees uh, for reforestation in countries that needed it where it was literally costing lives and so these people were going in and into like haiti madagascar and hiring um locals to reforest uh, and repopulate the, the, the nations which is awesome and we love that and it was only at 10 cents a tree to plant a tree is what the cost was so we're like well that's cheaper than buying uh, facebook ads added in and that's a great way to engage our people so what we we did at every show every single show is we'd say hey you know part way through 
Who wants to um, to plant a tree um, in a country that really needs one without going outside and getting cold and dirty? And so everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure. That sure, sounds fun. Yeah. I'm down for that. Say, like, okay, cool. So all you have to do is pull out your phones. And at the time, Facebook was the main platform. Now I'd say it's probably Instagram or Spotify. Um, you know, Facebook is still relevant, but those two, are, I think, are the primary. And then TikTok's definitely emerging. But uh, we say, okay, so if you just go there and like our page, um, we will plant a tree for you. So for every like we get tonight, we will plant a tree. Um, and then we would just um, cut a check every month or so for um, the Eden Reforestation Project for whatever we got from 10 cents for each like that was added. And, and then we say, and hold on to those phones uh, because we're going to give away something free later on. So just so be ready for that. And so later in the, towards the end of our set then, um, we would say, okay, so remember we said hang out of those phones. So pull those out again. Um, and so we're going to give, here's uh, some of our merch. And so we had like our, our loose leaf tea and some handmade mugs and CDs and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we're going to give away uh, this you know, awesome merch thing to what to to the person um, who puts the most entertaining post on our Facebook page right now. So, um, by at the, after our, our last song's done, um, Heather would be the one to share this. So she say Mark's gonna go through our, our Facebook and he's gonna pick his favorite post. And so it could be heartfelt, it can be just hilarious, whatever you want it to be, um, and we will go ahead and do that. And then right after the show too, we're gonna go take a picture with everybody who wants to come and join us and post that up there as well. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, we got tons of engagement from that because people would do that. And it was, and it was, it was also fun as an artist to get like, you know, either hilarious things or people sharing about what touched them and, and their stories. Yeah. But it really helped us grow our socials just from our shows naturally. Um, and, and to, to build that up. And then we got that engagement, which tricks the algorithm into thinking people actually care about you. And so <laughs> it shows you their posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we were able to tag and make those connections. So, um, so really just being strategic about that. So when you're playing those shows, I say that to say when you're building up that following, playing those restaurants, playing those open mics, do something to gather interest so that you can reach out to those people, you can build that connection, and so that you can tell them when you're going to play at Mercy Lounge, when you're going to play at this place. And, you can, and then you can put out a creative way of getting those people to come to your show. I think mm-hmm. people that do this have done this really well, Jordy Searcy, um, Jude Smith, they they do some brilliant Instagram photos and and, and videos that um, that really captivate and just like be like oh yeah I, I, it's just it's it's awesome it's it's so much better than just a typical person that says please come to our show we need you <laughs> you know right no one wants to feel that they want you they want you to offer them something that makes their life better for you guys what is your opinion on the value of email lists nowadays is that still relevant um, I think it is still relevant. I think it's it's still there. Everyone still has email. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to cut through the noise. Um, but if people really care about you, they'll open it. Um, you know, I think that the average click rate is still somewhere around 20% mm-hmm. for an artist email, which is, is pretty good industry-wide. Yeah. Um, but, but still, your best way to reach people is Instagram yeah. right now. That's good. So... I'm curious, you guys are doing the, with the college market, you know, that's just any and all kind of colleges pretty much for the most part. Is there a market that you guys are doing in the Christian college market? You know, are you guys, do you guys, does NACA work within the Christian college market for their types of things or for, you know, student unions and ministry opportunities and things like that? Or is that a completely separate deal it's a it's a completely separate i mean there's there isn't one right now that i'm aware of 
we've looked for it. We've thought about, we've talked, had some talks with different people about creating one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could happen in the future. Um, NACA itself, uh, it's, it's such a, a blend of, uh, of a lot of people, different, d- different backgrounds, but mm-hmm. the, it tends to be on the political spectrum mm-hmm. and social cultural spectrum, uh, more on the liberal progressive side. Uh, and so, uh, for the, um, for more traditional Christian colleges, it's not generally a very comfortable scene, mm-hmm. uh, for some of the, the content and things. That are right. There. Sure. So, um, so I, I think that's why we don't see a lot of Christian schools look going there looking for content. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, there's not there's not a separate organization like like NACA or APCA for Christian not colleges. That I'm aware that of. I think there of. should be one. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I've even I've even brought up to NACA. Um, I think it'd be great even to do like one day at the conference that's aimed at religious institutions. Just mm-hmm. uh, because there's thousands of them. I mean, there's, there, there's yeah, tons of them. I think there's, you know, there's fifteen hundred or so in yeah, the U.S. You know, and, and that's what I grew up mm-hmm. in for the most part. I mean, I do all different types of venues, but I do a lot of churches. I've done lots of I went to yeah. two Christian colleges, and so I've, you know, co- played at their conferences and their retreats, and you know, all, just all different types of events um, at those types of things. So there's there's a definitely a market for that. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's more individual of as an artist having to reach out to them personally and book it yourself as opposed to going through a, a NACA type organization since there is obviously there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, sh- there should be. So there if, should be. If, if any of your listeners um, feel like they want to embark on that, yeah. hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> Cause uh, it's definitely needed. Totally. So, yeah. Uh, man, this is great. I want to say, is there any advice that you give, but you've been giving tons. I'm not sure what else there is, but is just any closing um, thoughts that you would have for, let me put it this way, any, any thoughts for or advice for people that are, you know, wanting to get into this other than what you've already talked about. And also maybe for someone who is listening that wants to become a booking agent, you know, they're looking at it from that perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and they're trying to get into, they're trying to build that, that career, you know, yeah. and maybe hitting some roadblocks or struggles. What maybe some things that can help them get over that to be successful. Sure. Um, first it's always the right time to do the right thing so um integrity first and foremost Mm -hmm. don't take any shortcuts it'll come back to you um and word gets around fast okay um but then just it's it's all about consistency learning what is the right step to do and then just working at it consistently uh, showing up to work every day as an artist you're not you don't ever wait on someone else to give you your breaks um instead help make the breaks for other people and then you'll find that you become successful as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no one gets there by themselves. Yeah. So that's great. I think it's great all across the board, especially for artists. Um, can you speak to, for someone that's wanting to be a booking agent? What, yeah. Something that was, can maybe help them kind of break through the barriers that they're struggling with. Yeah. Um, I would say start especially with... Um, if you don't, I don't know if you've signed bands yet, if you're looking to be a booking agent, but find your friends, find people that you believe in, that you're passionate about, and say, hey, I want to do this for you. Um, and that's a great way to, to learn, to you know, focus on one or two artists um, and, um, and build within, you know, really becoming even a, a promoter in your city. You know, get to know the venues in your city, what they're looking for, ask them the questions and, and say, you know, everybody's always saying, will you please, will you please, will you please? 
be the person that says, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. What do you need? And then fill that void. So, yeah. so go into those venues um, and say, what do you need? What makes someone a dream artist for you? What makes your best night? And then figure out how can I fulfill that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and then find the artist that can do that. Uh, I think that's just, just go at it that way. Yeah. That's great. And the great thing about for, for people that are listening that are wanting or are trying to be a booking agent uh, and have different artists doing that is I talk all the time about the importance of being in a music city, being in Nashville or LA or New York, Chicago, Atlanta, whatever. Um, as an artist that's wanting to get signed or, or a songwriter or whatever. But, you know, the artists are out touring. We're out going across the country. We're not, mm-hmm. as artists, we're not necessarily stuck in those large music cities. Mm-hmm. You know, we're out, our job is to go out and share our music across the country right. or across right. the world, whatever. But the thing for booking agents is, you know, they can be anywhere across the country because they, they've got to get people... They've got to get artists into these local venues and regional venues mm-hmm. wherever they're from. It's not, you have to be based in a large music city yeah. because of that, because they're, they're the venues. We're trying to get people into the venues across the country. Mm-hmm. You know, we're based out of the large music cities, but we're trying to get to these smaller places around the country to share our music. And so we've got to be able to have, find ways to get into those places. And so booking agents that are in smaller venues or smaller towns or cities, whatever, are kind of the help. They're kind of the key to make some of those things happen, you know. So, I think it's really good. Absolutely, and yeah. I say be creative, be innovative. You know, I, mean, I look at people like So Far Sounds, who um, you know they create shows wherever, but they've built something that's pretty special that a lot of people love to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stay out of the pile. So it's good to learn from the people around you, but to think, what can I bring different? Yeah. You know, how can I fill those voids in? Um, because yeah, there's always room to be creative and everybody I think has a unique gifting in themselves that's something special to offer yeah. that the world misses without them. Totally. Man, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Yeah, my and pleasure. There's people are just gonna have to like just like fly through their keyboard writing down notes or their their pens and papers and whatever and ink splattering everywhere because they're writing so much information because there's just tons of it here. So I, I appreciate you coming on and and sharing um, your knowledge and your success of what you guys have been able to do as as artists now, because what I love is you've done multiple things. You've been an artist mm-hmm. and a songwriter, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and out playing shows of all different types, and then transitioning into the business side of things mm-hmm. more. The more of the business on and booking and, and production and photography and you know kind of the full package production company of sorts. And being very successful at that. So that's, it's exciting to hear that the success that you're having doing that and that you're able, you're able to bring other people into that, you know, other artists and things like that. So, um, last question real quick. I'm just, this popped in my head. Genre wise, the artists that you guys work with, what, what tends to be the most popular genre that you guys have as artists or that you're looking for? Um, what's the mo- or what's the most successful yeah. genre that the colleges the college market yeah. tends to For use? Colleges, I'd say pop singer songwriter, um, R and B rap is, is definitely making headway um, as a popular really? thing in, in in the college space, especially if you can do it cleanly. You're right. You know, um, so 
um, then and that's great. I have a positive image and a positive mm. message that uh, lets you be more universal. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, really, R&B is, has made its way into almost every musical genre right now. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, you know, it's becoming the, kind of the universal connector. You know, you see it in uh, Old Town Road. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you see all these elements that are happening. And so, um, coming in the, in the country even. And so, I think that that's, that's there. But definitely, I mean, it's mainstream. It's pop music. It's singer-songwriter. It's some, you see some folk Americana, though. You see acapella groups um, that do well. But, um, yeah. yeah. That's good. Pop. That's good. No, that's great. I just want people to know that if, if they're looking to get into it, you know, because if it's someone doing, you know, classical music, that's probably not going to be much of a, much of a market for the college, for the college market, you know, coffee, coffee house shows, as opposed to singer songwriter pop kind of stuff, you know, just, yeah. you know, polka isn't, is going to be as big as <laughs> pop. <laughs> yeah, I've, seen, I've seen someone try that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for, there's a place for all of that. There's a place for all of it somewhere. So, I mean, I want to be clear about that, yeah. but just for that, for that college appeal. market, the, the, the main thing that people are looking for is, is going to be that singer songwriter poppy. Yeah. And they, they love unique elements and things of diversity, things mm-hmm. that bring in that. But yeah. um, but you have to be able to connect with as many people as possible. Right. So um, so they will bring in stuff. I mean, like one of the guys who's been really successful in the market, not in our roster, uh, is Noah Hone. Um, and he plays xylophone. Uh, nice. That's but cool. He, and he covers, but he covers like Imagine Dragons, and he loops it along with a giant drum that he beats on yeah. and synth stuff and Different things, so it sounds like this big production, and yeah. he sings and everything. But his the xylophone is literally his instrument. Well, it was interesting though. Xylophone has actually become a really popular pop inter- instrument in the past couple of years. It's used. People don't know it. They may not. He- they might not know it when they're hearing it. But a lot of real pop oriented stuff has got xylophone in it. These that um, you know, and I know that just from being a producer. You know that I had to learn that. I was like, oh wait, that's a xylophone. Okay, that's how they're doing that. You know, and then tweaking the tones and the sounds and yeah. weird weird stuff on top of it but that's yeah. where it's coming from it's wild but even so. with that being unique he's doing pop songs exactly and so it's yeah like, so yeah. there's there's a place for for yeah. all of it it's just finding finding what your thing is and how to best utilize that to get into to these types of venues so yeah. yeah awesome man thank you again so much for your time i appreciate it and yeah, hope you have pleasure. a great rest of the day hey thanks marty yep. you too man All right, guys. Well, there you go. I hope that you were able to learn lots of great information today that you can put into practice into your career. If you're wanting to get into the college market and to play shows and tour and do those great things uh, with colleges, I wish I had known more about this when I was younger and in that age range where I could go out and do this um, because it's just so good. And you can make a really, really good living doing this uh, in the college market. So I would love to hear from you guys. If you are in that age range, if you're in your like, you know, late teens, late 20s, maybe early 30s, and you're going into that college market and you're trying to get into that, um, or you are in that industry, I would love to hear from you guys and to know how that's working out for you and what you've learned from this episode. So you can email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com and give me some great information. Let me know what, what you guys are up to in that world. Would you guys do me a huge favor? If you are liking this podcast, will you please, whatever platform you're listening on, would you please subscribe and like the podcast and share the word, spread the word out to all of your friends and let them know about it and help us to get this out all over the world. 
uh, more than what it already is. I would greatly appreciate that. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.